everybody, welcome to the New World Pictures Podcast, where we're going to talk about every movie released by New World Pictures, New World Video, and New World Television, uh, as we are talking to the director of Generation X, Jack Shoulder, as we start to round out the end of Mark's miserable, marvelous May, where we have gone through all the Marvel movies, or some of the Marvel movies, that New World released when they owned marvel comics which they owned in the late 80s and into the 90s they were doing some tv movies of marvel characters i'm ryan with me as always is miserable mark <laughs> yes uh, my laugh don't let my laugh confuse you i am quite miserable this has been a difficult month for me i have honestly really struggled through this and i feel like what has given me hope is that next month we will be watching some movies that bring me and us a lot of joy and a lot of encouragement that life is good. And Ooh. I can't wait to get that started. So oh, wait, Mark does not know the theme for next month. No, he does oh, not. Oh boy, let's not break it to him now. He's finally feeling good. By the way, next week we'll also be doing a ranking of the 90s MCU with Erica. Yeah, I'll be there, <laughs> ranking them. Here we go. So that will be our final episode of... <laughs> Of Mark's Miserable Marvelous May, <laughs> which we will then put on pause until next year when we do Mark's Miserable Marvelous May 2. Revenge of Mark. <laughs> there's more? There's oh. more that I have to watch? Oh, yes. Oh, oh there's gosh, more. Mark. Oh, yes. Oh. oh, yes. I mean, we've got two Incredible Hulk TV movies left. We've got The Punisher left. We've got this plenty. There's mm-hmm. plenty. We might be able to do this for a couple of years, Mark. We, Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there could be a third. I mean, you got to do a trilogy. You have to do it. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> sure. You do, you don't always have to do a trilogy. Well, you know? I mean, I think you do. I think no, you always was, have to. There was no Airplane Three. Okay, I mean, and 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 are we better for it? I don't think so. So, <laughs> but let's go to the subject at hand. We got to talk to Jack Shoulder. We are huge fans of Jack Shoulder, The Hidden, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, uh, Renegades. We talk uh, about his career a little bit, but of course we wanted to touch a lot on Generation X. That's why we contacted him and got to talk to him. And I think that's why he was really uh, game to talk with us is because he wanted to talk about Generation X. We get to talk about Where Are the Children, which is a nearly New World film. So we'll talk about that, which is a movie he wrote as well. And uh, some of the movies he was making in the 90s when he was working on a lot of TV movies. He is going to read from the Generation X script. So yeah. hold on mm-hmm. for that. He pulls out the script from a shelf behind him, which was oh, so a, cool. such a cool moment for us. We were like, what? This is so cool. Yeah. Reminded me when uh, uh when we talked to Harley Cokeless and he pulled out mm-hmm. all those pictures right from uh, uh yeah. Battle Truck and was showing us yeah. you know the production photos and Chris mm-hmm. Mengi's like hanging from below a helicopter and that was just very cool stuff. So And Jack also you know, had storyboards that he showed us. I mean, yep. it doesn't translate well on a podcast, but it was pretty amazing. He had all the notes. You could yeah. see where there were all the little tags in the script that for notes that he had put in there. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, and that, was, that he had it like at the ready was yeah, yeah, awesome. It's very cool. Uh, we were so thrilled to talk with him. He obviously is a great guy, great guy to talk to. He tells some incredible stories, and we were just so honored to be able to talk with him and learn a little bit about Generation X. So let's listen to our interview with Jack Shoulder. So this is uh, this is pretty niche, um, new world. 
Uh, yep. I, I wish I wish I could say that you were the first person that has said that to us. <laughs> yeah, that's why we have an extra large laugh to that. It's, it's definitely yeah. We 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 love New World Pictures. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean they 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 hired me to make a movie, so um, they did. I love did. them too. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start out though by saying, do you still play the trumpet? You know, I stopped five years ago. I, I took a job to run a to actually start a film program at a university in so North Carolina. I was right? the right. I was the only full professor at the university who had never taken a single course in his subject, um, <laughs> which made me very popular with the other with the PhDs that were there. You know, but it was. It was interesting because, you know, I, I learned the old fashioned way just by doing it. Mm -hmm. I learned from doing it. I learned from people that I worked with who knew more than I did, had more experience than I did. You know, I learned from some great actors. Well, uh, you know, I was an editor for 13 right. or 14 years and I was I was a pretty good one. At heart, I'm really an editor. I mean, as a director, I kind of think like an editor. So the editors are the people who have to take all the all the stuff that that the idiot director shot and make sense out of it. So, you know, so I had a pretty good notion of, of, of how to do it, but I never really knew any rules or anything. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I knew the 180 rule or, uh, yeah, the crossing the line. Sure that, I'm not even sure. Yeah. We, we, we called it, you know, don't, don't cross the line. That was about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, although I, I remember I was shooting an episode of a, of a TV series and there was a fight and there was one place where the person gets kicked and I moved the camera to the other side of the line so that the kick was coming toward the camera instead of away from the camera. And because it was TV and, and not a feature or a TV feature, the, the DP said, you can't do that. You cross the line. <laughs> and I said, of course you can. And he said, no, you can't do it. You cross the, you know, and it's like, I'm going to get yelled at because you you crossed the line. So I said, well, look, you know, I've, I've edited these things. I've shot a, a bunch of action. So I said, all right, we'll we'll shoot it your way with the kick going away from the camera. We'll shoot it my way. I mean, it's it's really geography. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like every rule is there to be broken or ignored or even there. There's there's soft rules. You know, they're not sure. hard rules. It's not, uh, you know. It's not the law of gravity. Uh, so, um, uh, how, how do you how do you go from studying chemical engineering into becoming a film editor? Uh, you you realize after about a week or two that you're in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what happened was my my mother was a very bright woman, but she and she won't always wanted to be a chemist, but she grew up at a time when. You didn't, you know, you didn't go to, if you were a woman, you can go to college to be a chemist. Um, and so she became a secretary, but she always wanted to be a chemist. And my father called himself an electrical engineer, but he re really was not, an, I don't think he had a degree. I think he took a correspondence course. I mean, he was a very good electrician. So chemistry, engineering, first generation college student, you know, studied something. Well, I mean, they, you couldn't even study film at that point unless you were you know, NYU or UCLA or USC. Um, but, you know, I ended up studying English, you know, which 
as as Garrison, Garrison Keeley used to say, the English majors are, are the ones wearing the paper hat. Um, <laughs> but uh, I learned um, all about story. And as a musician, I learned all about music. And for me, music, uh, film is story and music. And, and music, not in the, in the literal sense, but in the sense that it works like music. It occurs in time. It has a macro structure. It has a micro structure. You know, and also, if you're an editor, you know, you're, you're, you're creating music. You know, most, most people aren't aware of that, but... You know, a frame here and a frame there, you know, it's sort of the difference between keeping the beat or not, you know. Sure, sure. Um, so it was a good background. But yeah, I mean, I, I got in there and there were all these people walking around with slide rules, you know, you know, back in the days when everybody used slide rules, like attached to their belts. And it just wasn't <laughs> for me. So how did then you go into editing? If you studied English, how do you get into editing? Well, I I made some films in I went to Antioch College, which was a, a very liberal liberal arts college in Ohio, and um, I decided that I wanted to make films. I wanted to be a film director. Well, I wanted to make films, and so I just started making them. I mean, didn't know anything about how to do it, but we just sort of did it anyway. And um, in fact, the first film I made was, I don't know, two or three minutes long. I should really put it on on the internet, on on uh, YouTube. The second film that I did, because I was an English major and I loved William Butler Yeats, is I, I made a 15-minute film of a one-act verse play by William Butler Yeats set in 15th century Ireland. It's probably the worst idea anybody's ever had <laughs> for a film. Uh, and uh, at, for the most part, it wasn't very good, but there was one sort of dance section where the hawk has a dance. And we had, there was a dancer and she did a hawk dance and I kind of filmed it in an interesting way and edited it in an interesting way. And there was an alum who was a documentary filmmaker in New York. And so he... He saw it and I asked for his his contact info. And when I graduated, you know, well, do I go to L.A. or do I go to New York? And I'd been to New York, so I figured, well, I'll go to New York. And I looked him up and he gave me some editing work. And then that's what I started to to do. I mean, if if he'd given me camera work, you know, if he hired me as assistant camera person, I'm, that's what I might have done. But honestly, um, I never felt I had particularly great visual skills you know, something that I always worked on, you know, but I had a really, I just really had a knack for editing. Um, like I think, you know, having a strong musical background probably had a, had a lot to, to, to do with it. And also, you know, like I said, a, um, a good sense of story, you know, a screenwriter friend of mine says that there are two kinds of filmmakers, those who have read Shakespeare and those who have not. And I'm, I'm someone who's read Shakespeare. <laughs> I've read everything. So, uh, you know, so, so I had a good, a good sense of that. And uh, yeah, and I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was always like, you don't get invited to the party. Like everybody's out there working together and they all come back and remember when the blah, blah, blah happened. And, and you're just sitting in this little room being fed material. Uh, so you're kind of like out of the loop in a way. Right, but, right. But in another sense, you know, there's like, you know, however many people, you know, whether it's a, a three-man documentary crew or, or or film crew, and they're working their asses off and just to give you stuff that you're then going to make into a movie. So, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's kind of an interesting gig. How, how do you get into editing uh, The Burning? Some 
somebody called me up and said, uh, there's an editing job. You know, do you want to go in for meetings? So I went in for a meeting. I met with with Harvey and I met with the director. He's a very, very sweet English guy who who had mostly done uh, what uh, his his specialty was doing films about what he called motor car racing. <laughs> um, a lot of Formula One stuff. He, he was very okay. into that. And uh, I went and I had a meeting and they said, OK, you're hired. <laughs> um, I mean, I had, I'd gotten an Emmy, you know, at some point along the line. So, you know, that might have impressed them. I see. Um, and, you, was and that your first feature that you had edited? That was the first feature that I had. Yeah. Most, mostly I was editing mostly documentaries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had never edited a feature. I had edited the shorts that I shot, played in, you know, one of which played in a lot of festivals and won a bunch of awards. I used to say that I, I wanted to direct so I could get some decent material to cut. <laughs> but I, 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 I worked on 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 documentaries and 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 that sort of thing, and and it, it's a it's a it was a great background because you, you you basically have to figure out how to tell the story in the you know there's 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 not necessarily a story there and and you have to find the story. So as a result of that, when I'm in the editing room with the film that I've shot, I mean I'm I'm not editing it, but I'm supervising the editing. But I just feel like. I can do anything, you know, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that I can make anything work hmm. pretty much. And that's that's uh, what a background in editing has probably helped you with as throughout yeah, your career, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, you know, because the editor cuts it as well as as he or she can cut it. It's not they don't cut it roughly. Right. They just cut it as well as they can and put it in the order of the script. And then when you look at it, it, you know, you know, sometimes it, it 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 doesn't quite work, and sometimes it's just an absolute disaster, or that the things that you thought were really important that were going to work just don't work at all, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, you know, then you just roll up your sleeves and you say, okay, let's start with the first scene, let's figure out. I mean, whatever else you might think of my films, they are all well edited. They have a good pace. Absolutely. I I would always read about directors and they would have a 120 page script and they'd have a three and a half hour first cut. And it was like, I'd have a hundred page, 120 page script and I'd have a a hundred minute first cut, you know, or director's cut. You know, I kind of like to keep things moving. Yeah, sure. So was this like also the burning, the sort of like your first working with like genre stuff? Yes. I mean, I'm okay. Right. I, I had really no interest in genre for I mean, uh, you know, I I would see some, but I wasn't one of these people who would rush out to see Friday the Thirteenth. And and uh, uh, you know, a lot of people think that you know the eighties was like a golden age for for that genre. But most mm-hmm. of those films were pretty crappy, frankly. <laughs> um, in fact, Bob Shea, you know, who who ran New Line, used to jokingly say, or maybe not even jokingly say, I, I, you know, I edited a lot of trailers for New Line. Probably, I, sure. I, I think I counted up to like 80, and 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 Bob and I were very, very close friends. And uh, he said that he hired me because he knew that I would get all the pieces. Uh, because a lot of people who were directing these things absolutely didn't know what, what they were doing. And 
uh, you know, I would be editing and someone would be in the cutting room down the hall and they'd be tearing their hair out because they had this shot and this shot. And there was no way to get from this shot to that shot because the director <laughs> hadn't shot it, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, whether all the pieces would be any good was another question, but at least I would get all. <laughs> and I, I am very good at getting all the pieces, I have to say. I'm a, I'm a shot lister, you know, so I kind of have like my laundry list of, of all the all the shots that I need to get. And I, I usually get them. And plus, you're editing the story in your head, I would imagine. Yeah, yes. Especially yeah. as I mean, you're shooting. Well, I, I I, basically have made the film in my head. So, like, I mean, when I did Elm Street 2, you know, Wes quit about six weeks before uh, they were going to start shooting. And I had and New Line asked me to take over. My, my first reaction was, well, I don't want to direct a sequel to uh, somebody else's horror film. And then a Hollywood friend of mine said, you're crazy. You know, nobody's offering <laughs> you any movies. <laughs> you know, it's going to make money and and you'll do what, uh, you know, and you'll have a career. And that's absolutely what 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 happened. But I was frankly in a state of, of real anxiety because it just seemed like an insurmountable amount of stuff to do. You know, there were all these special effects. I had no idea how to do any of that stuff. I mean, I had already shot a a feature, but once I got my shot list done, which I'd probably finished, you know, a few days before we were going to start shooting, but I had the whole thing figured out. So, you know, if I got on the set and and I had a brain freeze, I had a piece of paper that I could say, Mm -hmm. you go here, put the camera here. So, uh, you know, when I was teaching my my mantra was was that you you make the film in prep and you execute it in production. But I heard it heard a great quote from Leonard Bernstein who said that that rehearsing the orchestra is inhaling and the performance is exhaling mm-hmm. which I thought was really beautifully put. yeah, oh, like yeah that. that is that's really nice I've, I read an interview where you said or maybe I heard you say this but anyway an interview with you you said um, that you actually wanted to be a poet at some point and so that's right writing was really important to you and you right. continue to write you wrote your first feature Right. Alone in the Dark. And then you also are writing, you're, you actually write Where Are the Children? Right. Was that somewhere in that area? Like, had you already shot Alone in the Dark, but you were still writing other projects? Or how did that come about? I think it was before I, when the hell was it? Was it, was it in between? It might have been in between Alone in the Dark and, and Elm Street. <laughs> yeah, it, it shoots around 84. 80, and, yeah. And, and then it took a few years to get released. I probably shot i probably wrote the screenplay in between alone in the dark and and elm street i i did not direct it were you were you planning to or were you hoping to no i was a friend of mine became the head of production for ray stark i mean it was a mary higgins clark novel you know mary mm-hmm. higgins clark mm-hmm. is like you know those books you buy in the supermarket mm-hmm. by the checkout counter <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. she sold like millions and millions of books <laughs> very nice lady you know i mean very very good but you know that was the, the genre several other people had adapted it and nobody really got it and so they gave it to me and they liked what i did and and it went into it went into production with director uh, bruce malmuth mm-hmm. who had directed nighthawks with stallone, stallone yeah. yeah and rucker um, howard yeah, so I, you I had thinking... a very good relationship with 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 the producer. They were shooting in Providence, in and around Providence, Provincetown, Massachusetts, on on Cape Cod. And um, when the director started rehearsing, they started making changes to the script. And so the the uh, producer, who I had a very good relationship with, told me to come up so I could you know kind of work on 
the changes. So I, you know, I was basically told here, here's what I worked at with the actors, put this into the script. Okay. And then, uh, so, you know, I, I did all that. And then it was going to be the first day of shooting. And I said, you know, do you mind if I come on the set? I just, just to sort of follow the protocol. And he said, well, actually I do. And I thought, what a fucking dick. And then, <laughs> and then the, and then the producer said, Jack, you're going on the set. So, you know, but just, you know, just, you know, don't, don't uh, get, get too much in his face. So sure. that, 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 so I had, you know, the experience of being a writer, uh, you know, where, where basically the director is the person who comes in and fucks up everything you've worked years on. <laughs> it wasn't just him too. Like I, from what I understand, the, the movie previewed for a while, but people didn't want to release it as it was shot or as it was, I mean, as it was written and then shot. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't think he did a very good job of directing it. I kind of thought he was an idiot. And and in fact, the the, the uh, a producer told me, you know, later on, he said, you know, I wish, I wish you would you would direct it instead of him. I mean, he, he as as the producer said, he 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 dressed the part. You know, he had like the leather jacket and you know the whole mm-hmm. the whole Hollywood hip director mm-hmm. look. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was about. The extent of his talent was his wardrobe. Uh, so some, they, they, some people have built careers with that. That being their one talent. It is <laughs> certainly true. <It's> certainly, true. <laughs> they tested the film in in several markets. Like, I mean, this this is before you know big national releases were were the way films were distributed. Mm-hmm. So they they tested it in like you know Cleveland and Detroit or something. You know, some markets. And it didn't really do very well. And so they never did a, a a major release. And, you know, it was starring Jill Clayburgh, who was one of the major stars of, of sure. that time. Right. And based on a book that it sold millions of copies. So Right. And and the editing was done, uh, redone uh, from what Rastar said. Uh, you know, the company said that they said yeah. that it was Columbia. Columbia said it was Rastar right. as soon as they acquired it. Right. So do you know? Do you know? I mean, I know it's been a long time. Do you know now? Like who? Who? No. I have I never heard that, which isn't to say that it's not true. It's just, you know, I I I wrote it, it got done, I saw it, I thought, nah, this isn't really all that good. And um and that was it. I moved on. There was an article about the re-editing of it, and you had an incredible quote in it, which which I'm paraphrasing, but you said uh because they messed with it and, and Columbia's parent company was Coca-Cola, you said I I wouldn't mess with the formula for Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's a pretty good quote. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, all... you know, uh, uh, someone I I met someone who was a, a big fan of of my films. One of the films that I the other the third film that I wrote, which I also directed, was Wishmaster Two, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, you know, that I'm 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 thrilled to have met you because I have a que- there's a question I always wanted to to ask you which is at one point the gin who was you know uh, uh saying you know you can wish for uh, for whatever you want and he says you could wish for this or that or you could wish for a bird's nest and he said why did you put in a bird's nest <laughs> and i said I, I i don't remember putting that in but that's pretty good you know <laughs> yeah you were actually offered the first wishmaster right but you you, uh, yeah. you didn't want to do it right i didn't think it was a good script um mm-hmm. and i was offered the second one, and I mean, I needed to work, and my agent said, as long as it's got the title Wishmaster and it's competent, they don't care what you do. So I thought, <laughs> well, okay, I can have a little bit of fun with this, which which I did. I had a lot of fun with it. 
That, yeah, yeah. Uh, that explains also uh, Wishmaster 3 and 4, if that was their <laughs> attitude. <Yeah. laughs> but to go back to uh, Where Are the Children, the same article I was reading, uh, this is what sort of uh, I wanted to talk to you about it, because Robert Remy, who was the president of New World Pictures at the time, Right. He was at one of those uh, previews that that happened, I think, around June of, of I guess, 1984 or maybe maybe it was 1986. He says that, uh, quote, it was a scary, tough picture because of the sensitive material. But I thought it was quite good. Very well done. And Jill Clayburn was terrific. I wanted to distribute the movie, but wasn't able to make a deal. I'd still like to distribute it. So he almost put out the New World Pictures almost put that movie out, but they just didn't get. Do you, it- did you know anything about that? I really, once it was done, I was sort of moved on. I mean, um, it did have children in peril. So mm-hmm. I don't know whether that, that put people off or whether that made it made it scarier. I mean, you know, it wasn't a bad film. It wasn't a bad film. I, mm-hmm. I think it could have been better. But, you know, most writers think, you know, the, if you're a writer, you, you basically you've made the film in your head and it's perfect. So right. And then somebody comes along and, and they make it and it's not perfect. So, you know, <laughs> right. Unless you're lucky, you know. But I also wondered at that time, since Robert Remy was such a fan of that film, did they at all try to talk with you or meet with you at all about other projects? I met with with uh, Remy when he was running Universal. OK. But that was after, I, you know, I'd already, you know, I met him as a director, not as a writer. Right. Sure. I mean, it it was it was kind of interesting because I I got an agent, you know, pretty 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 good agent because of Where Are the Children, you know. Then I did Alone in the Dark, and the movie didn't do all that well. Got actually pretty good pretty good reviews, but it, you know, it, it it never really did a whole lot of business. They just thought of me as a writer. They never put, you know, I was supposed to be a quote writer director, but they never. You know, I never got scripts as a director. And then, you know, after Elm Street came out, you know, suddenly the Monday after it opened, the head of the agency calls me up and tells me that Dino De Laurentiis is going to call me from his car, you know, so suddenly I was a director <laughs> or at least perceived as a director. You know. Sure. So, so even after that point, I mean, obviously you had a good, you had a strong connection to New Line at that point, obviously, yes. having done Nightmare and having done Alone in the Dark and you're done all the trailers and stuff for new lines so you had a pretty good obviously a good inroads there but yeah but but new world didn't at all contact you after nightmare on elm street they they might have after elm street i i got lots and lots of scripts but they were all genre films and Mm. i i I never wanted to be a genre director i mean alone in the dark was sort of my way of trying to make an art film in the guise of a of a genre film um if you if you've seen it it's you know it's it's doesn't it's not the the maniac in the in the summer camp (laughs) right 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 um but uh so so i i just got all these genre scripts all these horror scripts and most of them were just not that good and i was looking to sort of move into another area yeah i think i think what i love about your movies is you are able to kind of go between genres so successfully and so easily and i think that that's kind of a skill that People either I I, want, I don't want to say people don't have these days, but maybe people don't have the opportunity. But it seemed like you were definitely I mean, and you were just saying so that you were it seemed to me uh, that you were trying to go to do make different kinds of movies. You know, The Hidden well, is different than Nightmare on Elm Street and Renegades is different than The Hidden. And it just seems like yeah. you were you were definitely trying to show all the different things you could do. 
Right. Well, um, you know, one one of the things that I think people thought about me was that I could do several genres within the same movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> the Hidden is is a cop buddy movie, and it's also a sci fi movie. You know? Right. Twelve oh one, which you probably haven't seen, but I think it's one of my best films. Is basically a romance comedy sci-fi thriller so that's that's got like the most the most genres in it yeah and and i, I was gonna ask because it seems like after renegades uh which i feel i will say it uh it was unfairly maligned but uh, after that you start doing a lot of tv movies start doing hbo showtime and working for right. a lot of fox movies yes uh, and started and and it seems though you then again you continue to make a lot of different genre films films making doing all sorts of different things did you find more freedom making those kinds of films well in a way yes i thought of myself as a feature director and my at 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 that point i was with endeavor and they thought of me as a feature director and so the idea of doing television even even doing the hbo movie at at that time you know it wasn't considered as prestigious as it is now you know as as it has been right i mean where you get top people doing those Mm-hmm. Uh, the HBO stuff, you know, it was it was just moving into that, and and honestly, Renegades was such a disappointment. They opened it in the summer, and the competition, you know, there are all these huge movies, and I I I remember in the spring I was in a, in a theater and they were playing trailers, and they'd play one blockbuster trailer after another, and the audience is just going whoa, and they're cheering and clapping, and then then a trailer for Renegades come on, and there's dead silence, and I thought, oh fuck, we're really in trouble, you know, we we can't compete against, you yeah. know, and they they yeah. just put it out in the middle of the summer, and it you know it died, I mean. So I I I have um, I don't have good good feelings about it because it it because my career was sort of I made a film that made a lot of money and then I made a film The Hidden never made a lot of money but um, it was hugely popular in 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 Hollywood I mean we tested the film it, it got a ninety two you know we thought it was gonna you know. It, it got like it, it you know got like super high yeah. ratings audiences loved it but it just never clicked but everybody in hollywood loved it so so i was pretty popular for for a while there yeah i mean it's a great film you got a bunch of fans of the hidden here i mean we're yeah. huge fans of that movie and then, also and then after after renegades you know you know the the curve started to go the other way uh it just didn't didn't perform and uh, you know joe joe roth and, and interscope wanted to sort of capitalize on uh young guns you know so right. they were the, the two guys from from young guns and honestly um I think it's well done. It's kind of cliched. And honestly, now the whole Indian thing makes me a little queasy. It's a little, mm-hmm. the Native American thing is is pretty, pretty queasy, you know. An early performance from Gary Farmer, though. Yeah. And and he was, um, he was not happy. Oh, really? really? Why yeah. Is that? I mean, he, he, well, he was a nice guy, but he felt that he was playing kind of a dime store Indian kind of a role, you know, mm-hmm. and and, and yeah. it wasn't something that that he wanted to do. And he sort of kind of went along with it. But I think that he felt he was sort of betraying his his principles. I see. And I totally I totally could understand why why he would feel that way you know mm-hmm. and i felt just a little bit embarrassed you know great car yeah. chase in it though great car chase and yes and yeah, the two really leads are, are great chemistry i just wa- i just rewatched yeah. it again this morning so i mean there's oh, a lot of well, really great stuff in it and really you know yeah so it has it has a very good score by michael kamen mm-hmm. no, no slouch there yeah no, very well nicely shot. shot by 
Phil Mayhew, who went on to shoot some a bunch of James Bond movies and things. And uh, kind of a homecoming, right? Because you at least shot part of it uh, in Philadelphia, right? Or at least it was set uh, well, there? a little bit. I mean, a yeah. lot of it was Toronto, but. Well, it was it was basically Toronto for Philadelphia, but ironically, I shot the most iconic thing in Philadelphia, which is the the Benjamin Franklin Bridge, and then people reviewed it and said it was New York, and it was it was the George Washington Bridge, which it wasn't. So just can't get a break. So, so but uh, you know, it was kind of funny because we were shooting in in uh, Toronto, and uh, you know, w- one of the things when you're shooting on the street is the set dressers have to bring in trash because there's no trash in the street. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Got to make it look like Philadelphia. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Canadians are, you know, they seem like they're uh, like Americans, but they're not quite, you know. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I heard I heard a great joke that kind of sums them up. That, uh, how do you get 100 screaming drunk Canadians out of a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning? You ask politely. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> They'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's, it's so late. Uh, we should get out of here. <laughs> um, speaking of a film you shot in Canada, uh, well, let's talk about uh, uh, the New World movie that you did make, uh, right. Generation X. Right. Um, so, you, like I said, you had done a few uh, movies for TV. You were working pretty steadily, though, at that point. How does Generation X uh, speaking of a, a a movie of a totally different kind of genre, comic book heroes, right. how did that come to you? Well, I had already done a comic book. I I had done a Tales from the Crypt, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I understood what I heard was that um, God, what's is it Gaines, the guy who 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 created the the comic book? What's it, William Gaines? I don't know. Uh, oh, the Tales oh, from I, the Crypt, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, anyway, I guess. Well, guy, you're right. William Gaines and Stephen yeah. Dodd. Uh, that I had heard that that he that that it was one of his favorite episodes that he felt that I'd really sort of captured the comic the feel of of the comic book. That's a great compliment from one writer to another. I'm sure I can only yeah. imagine myself not being a writer, but hearing another writer say that you captured it. Yeah, as a, that's got to be such such well, a thrill. I was, yeah, I was I was I was very very pleased, and I, in a way though, um, my my style really fit the genre because I. Like I said, I never felt that I had a great visual sense, you know, that I wasn't, uh, um, you know, one of those super visual. I wasn't a Ridley Scott, you know, I didn't have this this uh, tremendous sort of vision. So I always had to like work to try to make stuff interesting and to get what I thought was a style because I sort of had believed about the auteur theory, you know, having having been a huge fan of sixties uh, and seventies French. French cinema. So the author, so I felt that everything had to come out of me, which, which of course I realized that not all of my ideas were the best ideas, and I should listen to all these other people who were very talented. <laughs> um, I I always liked Orson Welles and the mm, whole sure. deep focus thing, mm-hmm. and so I I really sort of adopted that as my style. So wow. um, especially, I mean, in the hidden. Right. Let's say when he's holding the gun, on, and yeah, it's there's a lot of shot with an 18 millimeter lens. I mean, yeah. that was my half the film was shot with an 18 millimeter lens, you know. And you know, if I was doing a close up, I'd use a 35 or maybe a 40. You know, mm. 40. Well, Ari, Ari didn't make a 40. You know, he had to go 35 to 50. So 50 was like a super long lens for me, and that became my my style. And I staged things 
using the depth that, you know, because with yep. a wide lens, you know, anything that happens far away from the lens is kind of small, but it gets real. You get real big, real fast with the lens and, and you get that kind of wide angle perspective. And most comic books are drawn that way. Mm. They're drawn. They have, you know, kapow, you know, and the yeah. fist is like, you know, really big, like it was shot with a, a really wide angle lens. So, so that kind of fit into my style very, very well. And I actually shooting that Tales from the Crypt was probably the most fun that I've ever had shooting anything. I mean, we had an all black cast, which is uh, my idea that there was already an existing script, but they felt it was flawed. And we brought in uh, Don Mancini, a child's play, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. Chucky. And I thought because I'd grown up in, in uh, Philadelphia, which is a large African-American community, and I knew, you know, it's about a funeral director, kind of a, a, a very, very stingy funeral director. And I knew that that funeral directors in, in, in black neighborhoods were very important people and that 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 the funeral parlor was, mm -hmm. was you know, a major um, yeah. part of that uh, community. So I I, I said to, to Joel Silver or, or whoever it was, you know, I said, I said, what, what if we were to do this with an all black cast? And they said, OK, great. And so, you know, it's a much smaller community, the black acting community. And so a lot of the actors knew each other. And the script was, was very dark and very funny. I mean, there were times when we were just like laughing away, you know, and a lot of it was very gory. The, the embalming scenes, which mm -hmm. uh, we tried to make <laughs> as, as disgusting as possible. Mm -hmm. I. Uh, I remember we were watching dailies one day and it was dailies from the embalming scene you know, where the blood is being extracted from the corpse and it's dripping down this like filthy uh, table. And we're sitting there eating lunch, watching this stuff. And my wife came in and I think she was horrified <laughs> to see us laughing there <laughs> eating lunch and watching all this blood dripping. Off the table. Uh, but so, uh, so the idea of doing a, a comic book or something in that in that genre kind of appealed to me. I mean, there were f films that I that I went after, scripts that I went after, and scripts that where they went after me. And as mm -hmm. I recall, uh, Generation X was one where they went after me. And, was that Zach uh, Fox or that that sort of asking you? Was it was it Marvel? Was it New World tel uh, Entertainment at that time? Well, yeah, it was it was New World, and I think uh, was it Revson who who had bought the company at that time. It was um, uh, somebody had bought the company. Is not... Ronald Perelman who had bought a New World at that point in time? Brandon Tartikoff was running New World Entertainment, right? But what what I remember was that people bought the company who were not from the film business, and they wanted to run it like. A normal like a regular company and the 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 head of production told me they do are we're not allowed to go over over budget on mm -hmm. these films if we go you know they they simply you know they said you can't go over budget sure um mm -hmm. and, and um and if you go over budget we'll lose our jobs so you can't go over budget, um, uh, you know, and and that was uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was kind of the way that it happened. And, and actually, you had asked me earlier about going from features to TV movies, and whether, in a sense, it was more freeing. And in a certain sense, it it was because with a feature, there's a huge upside if it's good. So if you want to like like spend extra money or go over like. 
most features go over certainly sure. go over schedule you know right it's a 45 day schedule it'll go 50 days or they'll go and go back and reshoot because if if you can get something really good you, you can make a lot more money you know if there's like, like some fantastic sequence in the film that kind of makes it memorable you can make more more money but there's also a lot more scrutiny with a tv movie there's no upside really you know, it's like we have a time slot. It's going on Thursday night, you know, from eight to 10. And we need something to fill that time slot. So and here's your budget. And so if you could do it within the budget and, and the movie is more or less what they think it's going to be, that's it. You have less time. I, I mean, a lot of the movies of the week had 20 day schedules. I, I always got 24. I always got 24 days, it seemed like, because I, I always got the, you know, the odder ones. You know, right. I, I never got the, the 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 women in peril ones, you know, which which I wouldn't have wanted to do anyway. You know, I always okay. got the ones that were a little offbeat. And certainly Generation X was the most offbeat. Right. Uh -huh. And, and you, you said that you got this. That they came to you. Did they come to you because of Tales from the Crypt? Had Was that kind of the driver? I don't it? think Tales from the Crypt. I, everybody kind of knew me as the director of The Hidden, okay. you know, which is very stylish and, you know, move yep. fast. And, you know, it was a great genre film. Mm -hmm. So if, if it's. So, so I tended to get the more genre stuff. And I had, I pretty much, I wouldn't say at that point I was what you'd call a crackerjack director. Uh, there was a term that was used called a shooter. Shooter was sure. the kind of guy you, you know, you hire and he yep. comes in and he gets it done. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it might not be a, a brilliant film, but you know, the guy comes in and gets it done. It was, it was always a guy, you know, back, back in the day. Um, and uh, I was not looked upon as a shooter. And, and I really mm -hmm. wasn't. I was more, uh, you know, I thought I was an auteur, I, which is probably why I, I, I didn't have a, a great career in, in episodic because, I, you know, I'd come on the show and I would think that I could redo the show better. And, you know, basically you want the same show every week. That's right. part of the idea. They want the same style and, you know, and, and that's how it works. But uh, so I'm just trying. Well, I'm 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 just trying to think of whether they offered it to me. I I think it was they were very interested in me. Subject to a meeting, I came in and I had a meeting and I had a pretty good meeting and then I got hired. Uh, there were a couple others where 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 literally there was another director sitting in the waiting room with uh, uh, with me where I ended up getting fortunately ended up getting the film. But I. I I think this was just hired subject to a meeting. Mm -hmm. okay. um, mm -hmm. One of the unusual, the the one unusual thing was that the writer was one of the producers. Okay. Yes. Eric Blakeney. Yes. And, and we can get into that. Okay. <laughs> I was going to talk well, about the script. I was going to ask because you have mentioned, like I was, I was listening to your commentary about the hidden again, and uh, you were, <laughs> And you were talking about how you like you always do like a little bit of writing on this stuff, like not not always something that's huge and significant, but you always like to do a little bit of writing. But was the script already pretty much set for Generation X when you came in? Well, yes, and and also Eric was really Eric was really into the the X Men uh, or the 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 whole the whole thing. I didn't know anything about it. I I didn't know what the X Men were. I didn't know what Generation X. I didn't know anything. All I knew was what was in the script, whereas he, you know, knew the history of these, you know, and how they fit into the whole comic book world. Okay. And honestly, you know, I didn't do research. I didn't go back and read all the comic books. I, I just directed the script. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge um, Hitchcock fan. And, and Hitchcock would kind of, if it was based on a book, he would 
kind of read the book and then he'd, he'd just throw it out and sure. then he would just just start his script from from scratch so so i was you know i was just basing it on on what you know what was in the script you know eric eric would would advise me but there's a certain tension that like i mean because here is like the um writers in in, in movies tend to not have a lot of power right you know there's mm-hmm. Uh, something called Dwight Morale. Uh, have have you heard that that term? Mm, no. Well, it's if if you're an entertainment lawyer, so there's something called Dwight Morale, which means the moral rights, the moral rights of the author. So if I write a play and you're directing it, you cannot change one word of that play without my permission. Or if if I write a novel, if the editor wants to change something. I have to agree. With a film script, one clause in every writer's contract is you sign that away. So mm-hmm. I could take your script, you know, and take this tragedy about your 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 family and your autistic brother and turn it into a musical comedy, and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so were you though able to uh did, did Eric Blakeney have sort of that same clause at this at this point where you couldn't really change anything or were you just not interested well, in changing? Well, because he was one of the producers that that somehow part of his deal was that he was one of the producers. He wasn't like an executive producer, right? You know, where they sort of give you uh, you know, a fancy title and and right. And, and you show up at the screening. He was actually, you know, he actually had authority so of course you know anyone will tell you that once a film starts shooting there's not a whole lot you can do to change the way the director's working other than fire him but you know he he um he didn't like the way that i was shooting it he he admitted Mm -hmm. that it looked great uh uh, he thought uh he said look it looks really great but the actors are moving around too much he just wanted the actors kind of stand there and say his lines (laughs) Right. And I was, you know, like, trying to like any everybody... good Marvel movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so I was always trying to keep, keep things moving around. You know, I was always trying to, to try to make it interesting, you know, as interesting as, as I could. Uh, so, uh, you know, he and I, there was always a tension between us. And I, I, I remember there was, uh, we were shooting at this huge mansion on Vancouver Island. It's that um, Hatley Castle, uh, right? Well, yeah, it it had been the um, the Naval Academy for Canada, but it was mm. this huge oh. hunting lodge, and I understand that it's been used for a lot of other stuff since. Yeah, then, yeah, but... the other X Men movies, as a matter of fact, right. remain the Xavier Institute and other films. Right, but but so we were shooting there, and I I I went off to look at something else, and 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 I was smoking cigar whenever I was outside I I would smoke a cigar it was kind of a nervous habit which which I don't have anymore but um and I don't know what it was but I it's was setting something up and he didn't like the way I was setting it up and he wanted to do it a different way and I said that that I didn't that I was going to do it the way that I was doing it and I was smoking a cigar and he thought I blew smoke in his face mm. and he slapped the cigar out of my mouth and then I ended up chasing him through the grounds. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow! And and I've never had anything like that happen where where I I'm not that kind of guy, you know. I'm not right. I'm not right. a fighter, you know. But that was just like it just really pissed me off. So how do you reconcile that sort of situation? I have to admit, I've never had that happen in, during my 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 job. So you're chasing him. I'm just what, saying, what, just at work, I've never had someone uh, uh, kind of slap a cigar out of my face. And, <laughs> no, so. well, I mean, neither neither have I. 
But, but your smoking in the workplace, Mark, is a problem. You smoking no, cigars in, I know, the, in I know. the office is. They an just issue tell me. People, to, they I'm just sure. tell me to please stop smoking the cigar in my uh, do office. You, do, you, do you work at New? Do any of you work at New at, at New World? A New World is is a is is shortly after Generation X is is a is a right. done entity. It is gobbled right. up by Fox and and shutters its doors shuttered its doors forevermore. Right. So no, we don't we don't work for. There's no one to work for at this point. We would oh, yeah. gladly take the job. So a- after that, I th- I think Eric realized that it was kind of futile to try to make me do anything. That while we were shooting, that that he could just try to influence me. Uh-huh. And you know everybody liked the dailies, mm-hmm. um, so you know that was on on my side. So there wasn't and, much he could do then, other than knock the cigar out of your mouth. If right, disagree. Right. Well, I think his plan was well. Wait until we get it into post then i can exert mm. my producer sure. power but did that, um, ha- did that happen sort of sort of yeah if i uh, want to get into the shooting part so so anyway so i think we had like a seven million dollar budget or something you know which was a very very big budget for yeah. for a tv movie you know it was it was a big it was a big production it was you know it was a, a lot of a lot of stuff to shoot and um, a lot of special effects a lot of special effects yeah i don't know we had 24 or 25 days which I didn't think was really enough. Uh, one of the differences between features and TV features is that with a feature, you know, like a three-page day, it's like three and a half pages. What, I've got to shoot three and a half pages in one day? How am I ever going to do that? You know, whereas you get on, on on a TV movie and, you know, there are days when you have to shoot seven pages or eight pages. Mm. I mean, episodic, you'd be shooting 10 or 11 pages. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, when I did my first TV movie, which was which was 1201, it was like, how do, you, how do you shoot all this? Well, the way you do it is basically everybody knows that that's what you've got to do. So instead of taking an hour to discuss the scene, you just it's like, okay, here's how we're going to do it. And the actors are kind of, you know, they understand that they can't spend an hour discussing it. And everybody's just kind of like got to march, keep marching forward. Hmm. And so in, in that sense, while I had less time, there was a lot less time lost in discussion. Right, right. So you could be more efficient. Got it. Um, and that was kind of a that was kind of a plus. But I made a big mistake, which was oh. uh, several days before shooting, the brass came up to see how things were going, and I made the mistake of telling the head of production that I didn't think we had enough days to shoot the movie, which was really stupid, really stupid. Because here they're they're going to get fired if we go over schedule. Yeah. And the director is saying, I don't have enough time to shoot this movie. Uh, and what I just, and, and I never should have said, and it was just stupid, you know, and I learned my lesson. So, so what that means was now they go and they grill the producer, the line producer. What's going on here? The director says he doesn't have enough, enough days. Right. This is all the, the money we have. How are we going to get, if he doesn't think he can get the movie shot and you know, how are we going to get this done? So that created a bad atmosphere. And so the first day was a tough day, you know, and always the first day you don't get as much done. The first day mm-hmm. was, was a pretty tough day. The second day was an impossible day. We had like like seven or eight different locations. I don't know. We had like seven or eight different different locations. There's like wow. no way, no way that I could make that. Yeah, that's a lot of moving around in a yeah. single day, was, moving production. Well, that's crazy. Well, we were shooting in this location, which was a, a um, an abandoned hospital. 
And so everything was pretty close by. So we were in this set and then we'd move over, you know, one or two rooms down and we'd be. Oh, I see. In, okay. Okay. In another set. Well, anyway. So it's still contained within that. This is all like the opening shot, I have to think, and the fruit yeah. stuff when he was in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. So still, anyway, it's still even if you're not like moving locations, no, it's, a lot. it's still a lot to go to those. It's still, places. it's still a lot. Well, anyway, so, so what happened was the first day producer had a talk with me. At that point, he and I were, were, were getting along very well. You know, he said, look, you know, you've got to make your days. You've got to make your days or there's really going to be hell to pay. Better make your first day. So I said, yeah, well, I think we can make the first day. So I was doing real well. But when we got to the end of the day, we just ran out of time. And there was like the scene where the kid wakes up and there's like, like these explode and the, the, this got this thing on his head and it starts mm-hmm. exploding. Right, right, right. Uh, Dream machine. Yeah, and there and there was also there was a uh, there was a high fall. Somebody falls out a window at some point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yep. we we didn't quite get the day done, so we had like another. Uh, we could have finished it if we had like another hour or maybe two. I certainly could have done it with two hours of overtime. But anyway, so he calls me in, into his office and he says, "Listen, they're they're very upset. You've got to make tomorrow plus, which I thought was already impossible, plus what you didn't get today. And if you don't, there might be another director on day three. Wow! wow. So so wow. that was like no pressure. I kind of <laughs> panicked. <laughs> yeah, sure, of course. which was which was. I think that 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 was the effect they were looking for. You know? <laughs> right, right. I, because I, I've I've worked with a few actors who have been very difficult, and basically you have to put the fear of God into them. Hmm. If they think that they're going to get fired or sure. the role's going to be cut in half, they they suddenly shape up. Right. Uh, uh, so. so Anyway, it, it it worked, and I said, "There's no, it's impossible. There's no possible. I, there, it was impossible to do day two already, but with these added scenes, it's completely impossible." And so I, I couldn't get to sleep. I don't know, like around three o'clock in the morning, I suddenly said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to sit down with the DP and the assistant director, and we're going to put down every scene that we're going to do, and we're going to put a time on it." So we have one hour to shoot the scene. If it's a, just a one it'll get shot. No coverage. If, if that's how we have to do it, that's how we'll do it. First shot, done at 9.30. Second, second, or first scene. Second scene, done it, you know, and we, and I said, that's the only way. And we have to, no matter what, you know, if it's 10.30, mm-hmm. we're out. Mm-hmm. Whatever we got to do, no lights, nothing, whatever we got to do. And so I got up early and I called the first AD and, and, and the DP and I said, you got to basically, we got to leapfrog. So when I'm shooting scene one, you're lighting scene two. So the minute I'm done with scene one, we jump right in and we're all set to go with scene two. And and that's the way that, that and, 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 you know, we got to stick to this schedule to the minute. And and then they obviously spoke to the, the line producer. So he, he hired like, I don't know, three or four extra electricians and grips. And we we made the day and we got great stuff. In 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 it it was like one of those. Uh, uh, have you ever seen Day for Night? I'm sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's these days when everything's going well and the crane is going, and there's sort of this baroque trumpet that's playing in the 
in the background. It was it was like one of those days when just you know it was just like one of the great days that I've had. On, Clouds on. parted, the sun yeah. <laughs> yeah. came out. Yeah. They were just the, the the angels sang their song. Right, <laughs> you did and it. I think we actually went like maybe an hour into overtime, but I mean we had special effects. We had a stunt with a high fall, with somebody jumping out out a window yeah. or off a balcony or something. Yeah, that was uh, the office guy, right? The Matt Frewer sort of talks into leaping off out of the building yeah. and he thinks he's in a dream. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of bought me um, a lot of goodwill. So, so then they were off your back at that point. Yeah. yeah so then were... you just had to deal with the writer. Yeah. And 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 basically, I just ignored him. Which, which I think is why he was so, so, so pissed off. As I recall, I think that's probably why he slapped it, the cigar out of my mouth because he had said something or other, and I said, yeah, 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 and I just kind of like, you know, was obviously not going to do what he asked, and I wasn't particularly paying attention. It was like I had other things on my mind, other than him telling me how to shoot the movie. Yeah. So yeah, I had, I had one. I mean, we we're always kind of pressed for time, but that's the nature of the game. But we there was one one scene where where every single actor in the in, in the movie the the mutants and uh, I don't even remember their 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 names the the the, the Irish guy and and Banshee Banshee, Banshee yeah. and, and Emma was, Frost Emma the, Frost the, the, the two two that yes. uh, ran the school right right so it was all all six of them and actually you know apropos of what what I was saying before about the stream features and and uh, tv so we had a split day and we're shooting in inside and then they had to prep this exterior scene they're they're all like they're on some steps and they're talking i don't even mm-hmm. yeah i think it was the football scene right where they're outside and they're all goofing off and playing football uh, no and... uh, no this was uh it was a night scene it was a oh, night the scene. carnival uh no it wasn't the carnival but they were like on these steps i anyway so the 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 ad said uh jack you know um it's going to we're uh, we're down for like two two and a half hours before it gets dark enough to shoot. So you've got all this time. You've got all the time now to to rehearse. You got two hours that you can just work, work with the actors for change. And it was a disaster. Mm. Six actors. I had it all planned out. At the end of the first hour, nobody could agree on anything. I mean, everybody had an opinion and it was a different opinion and every everybody wanted to do it a different. And and mm. the whole scene had kind of completely devolved. And then, you know, a half an hour later, we're still we're, we're like nowhere. We're just like in it's chaos. Mm. And then I have to come back and they said, OK, Jack, we're we're ready for a rehearsal. Now that you had all this time, two hours to work with the actors, get it all worked <laughs> out. And it happened to be a day when the suits were were back. And so there's like four of of them standing there, you know, with their arms crossed in front of them and get there. And, you know, and now I'm trying to stage the scene and there's all these suits and and nobody's, we, you know, it's like a bunch of cats trying to hurt cats. (laughs) Oh, no. And and it was horrible. It was just, you know, one of those awful moments. Mm -hmm. And and so so finally she said, okay, you do this, you do this, you do that, you know. And Mm -hmm. somehow we, we... managed to get it done but i mean that was you know kind of like like the feature thing as opposed to you know hey we have 15 minutes to to rehearse this so here's what we're going to do yeah suddenly they had the time so suddenly they decided to start going back to the way they could in 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 other projects yeah anyways so we we uh, we got the film shot you know i thought it looked great i mean we had a lot of fun matt frewer eric did not want anybody to change any of his lines so you know as far as my working on the script 
you know, I had some notes before we were shooting that I gave him and, you know, he, he probably made some changes. And, and I think there were other things where I didn't quite understand. And he explained to me why things went a certain way. I don't know. Okay. But, uh, toward the end, they're playing some kind of a, a weird game. And I yes. had no idea what, what the game was, but he knew mm-hmm. it all. And he knew all the rules. And I had no idea what the rules of the game were. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, kind of fill me in. I think it was based on another character that probably would have come on later if it turned into a yeah. TV show. I, be, I believe that because we were a little confused about the right the card game as well. But I mean, Eric, Eric had it all all in his head. So it wasn't like we were locking horns all the time. But, uh, you know, he just... He told me that I was moving the actors, you know, that I was having them move around too much. So I don't know. I don't know whether whether you think watching the movie that they were moving around too much or not. But, I don't. Uh, that that doesn't seem. That was that's that's doesn't seem to be a problem. I was not. Yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. notice that and go, man. I wish they would just stand still. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but he had it in his mind as like a comic book, so he's thinking yeah, of it yeah, as a nine right. panel. Like, yeah. as a frame. So it's more a static, a uh-huh. <laughs> static vision yeah. than. Yeah. What, a, speaking of visuals, like. I know you said you weren't much of a you don't think of yourself as a visual director, but but it did seem like there's a lot of visuals to it. But yet you're also working in a genre of comic book heroes that really doesn't have a whole lot of touchstones, particularly at that point. There's only there's only so many that has been made at that point. Did you use anything in particular for to sort of model your visual style for it or was that just just the way you were working with the longer lenses well that was just just the way that i was shooting it. i mean i i was still mostly using um wide lenses i mean for the most part uh yeah i mean a lot of dutch dangles and and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of just sort of comic booky kind of mm-hmm. framings and 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 i had a really good dp a guy called brian english who another interesting story he, he had shot another movie for me and i thought he was a really good dp and he, you know he had He'd, he'd gone to the AFI. He uh, he was like a, a, a real kind of history buff of the history of great cinematography, you know, the, the great cinematographers of old, you know, who could do this incredible glamour lighting and all that. And he was he was really good at that. And I I wanted to hire him because I thought that he'd be great. And they they checked his references and a few people said he was horrible that he was just mm, terrible mm. to work with and mm. and that he had a, a really bad reputation. And I I had to really fight. Uh, mm. to to uh, to get him on that he was slow he was difficult none of oh, which wow. had been my my experience uh he was he was actually a a nice a nice southern boy he would call me sir all the time but i think that was kind of like a southern a southern right. thing you know mm. yes sir you, yes ma'am you'd and, worked on uh, a couple movies with him but he also shot the hidden too very possibly i never saw it to tell you the truth oh okay I yeah. read the script and and I knew all the guys with I I just didn't bother. But anyway, I fought and managed to get him on, you know. And I said, "Look, we really gotta, you really gotta move on this show, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here's all the things that they said about you, and we have to prove them wrong." And 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 it's a and and I will say that I think my films are visual, but well, it's you know it it's something that I I I had to work on. It's not something that that came naturally to me. It's like a lot of directors plop down the camera. I had I had one really weird gig where Paramount was doing a movie called um, uh, there was a guy called Jeff Speakman who okay. who who they were going to make into the next Jean Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. uh, who had been discovered by the producer of the Van Damme movies and he was directing this movie Perfect Weapon per- Perfect Weapon Perfect Weapon, weapon. Yeah. Perfect mm-hmm. weapon. and he was directing it was a negative pickup deal so it wasn't directly under Warner, under Paramount's uh, supervision, it wasn't a studio film. It was a negative pickup deal. 
But after a couple of weeks, they realized that he didn't know how to direct and, and they were not happy. So they called me and asked me, uh, they called me on a Friday and asked me if I would take over the film on Monday. And I said, I wasn't interested. So they said, well, how about if we hire you to tell the director how to direct the movie? <laughs> so, so I, it, it sounded like a terrible idea. And then I thought, actually, it's a great idea. First of all, they'll, they're going to pay me a good deal of money. Mm -hmm. And second of all, if the film is good, I'm going to get all the credit. And if the film sucks, he's going to get all the blame. <laughs> so, What's that job title? Uh, is I, it I, just I, like directorial consultant? I can't. I, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I got a title at all. I probably didn't. <laughs> didn't but, but it was also interesting because sudden, the relationship between the director and the studio or the network or whatever is, is a little fraught because on mm. the one hand, they hired you, they believe you're the guy who can make this film or you're the woman who can make this film and you're the right person and they're entrusting this whole, whole thing to you. You know, if you fuck it up, you know, they're all not going to look good. Right. Um so you know, on the one hand, they're rooting for you, and on the other hand, they're 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 not trusting you, or they're afraid of you, right? They're, yeah. they're worrying mm -hmm. that you're going to just fuck everything up, and they're and and they're all going to look bad. Once they start that spending the money, I always feel like that's when they start all the doubt fills the minds, yeah. and then it's more difficult. Yeah. So so I was actually on the studio side now. So I was like on their side, which was mm -hmm. kind of interesting, like against huh. the, this idiot director who's fucking things up. We got to <laughs> set him right. And so 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 basically I agreed to do it and they had a meeting with him and they basically said, look, even though it's a negative pickup deal, if you don't do exactly what shoulder tells you to do, then we have cause to fire you and we'll fire you off the film. So he said, okay. And then I had a meeting with him and he said, look, I'm happy to do, well, not happy to do this, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on willing. board to, to doing this and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you, you tell me to do. The only thing that I ask is please let me be the director. You know, we can talk and you can tell me how, how to do stuff, but then as far as the crew's, and everybody else is concerned, you know, let me be the director. And I said, well, yeah, absolutely. Fair, fair enough. Because it gets very confusing. if, if Sure. They, yeah. Two different voices. And yeah. Yeah. That, he didn't have a shot. You know, I said, OK, you got to come in on Monday with a shot list. First of all, I want to see your shot list. Get there 15 minutes, 20 minutes early. Show me your shot list. We'll go over the shot list. We'll talk about how the day is going to go. So I get there 20 minutes early. He's already got the first shot set up. So I go and look at the shot. I said, "Now take the camera away. We're going to start again." He would, um, after after a while, he was sort of getting better at it, and 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 I felt like I didn't have to kind of tell him quite as much. But uh, but uh, he he would kind of stand there, and and they would rehearse the scene, and wherever he happened to be standing, he would say, "Okay, let's put the camera here," just because <laughs> that was where he was standing, you know? <laughs> as opposed to you know where does it look good? You know, right, where is the right. Shot gonna look but oh. a lot of times that's kind of like it's it's actually one of the reasons to have a shot list because the shot list you kind of think of it when you're sitting in your room and there's nobody around and there's no pressure and there's nothing else you could say hey this scene would be best if it was shot like this as opposed mm -hmm. to the time the clock is ticking and you're under pressure and you're just like put the camera here you know uh, so that kind of helped me to to um be a little more interesting and and if the camera was just kind of here it's like 
I'd look through the lens and say, you know what? We we need to mush it up a little. Make the camera lower. Make the camera higher. <laughs> Tilt oh. the camera. Do this. Do you know? Um, you know, I would leave the framing, and I I never had anything to do with the lighting. You know, I always left the lighting to Brian. Yeah, yeah, or or to whoever I was working with. I I, I rarely rarely commented on the lighting. Um, do you do but, you change uh, according to like where you like if the set is something different than you had in your mind's eye? Do you like recalibrate where you're yes. going to shoot it? Okay. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, first of all, I I make the shot list in limbo. You know, it's right. kind of theoretical. It's like, what's this movie about? What what's the central theme of of the movie? So, for instance, the hidden the central theme is what it means to be human. Because yeah. you have a, a good alien comes to the earth to, and he's learning to be a good human from, from the, the other cop, the LA cop. And then you have a bad human who's coming to earth and he's learning all the things that are bad, that are fun, you know. And that informed everything that I did. And then when you look at a scene, then how does that scene fit in? And what's the scene about? And who is the scene about? And now how do I stage that to have it make some kind of sense? And how do I want to shoot it? You know, do I want to shoot it in a lot of coverage? Do I want to mm-hmm. do close-ups? Do I want to be wider? Do I want to do, do with a, a with a dolly move that kind of connects things up? You know, you know, how do I want to shoot it? I mean, I try to shoot it in the most interesting way that I can that serves the story. You know, I don't dangle a camera from the ceiling just because it's a cool shot. Right, 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 right. You know, You're but, serving but, service of the story. Right. But how can I make this as interesting as I can? So I think that it's a very visual film in fact when when we were in post we were in this editing facility and and they were editing some other other tv movies they had a a transfer room where they were you know digitizing dailies and i i i remember coming out of the editing room and the transfer guy said he said wow you know your your dailies look so great they're really great looking dailies and and i said well i said part of that is because i shoot wider than most most tv mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there was a guy who was editing like i remember the show the commish and then yeah. they did like a yeah. bunch of like tv movies that were kind of spin-offs and he and he was the producer of the commish tv movie was was in his editing room he heard me say that he was so incensed that he came out of his editing room and he said you're wrong tv is all about close-ups <laughs> Wow. does that mess up your framing though to go from all these wide angle lenses and then you have to get into sort of the tv framing did you feel like that made any uh, well i never shot none of my movies are in scope all of my movies are 185 because having been an editor and and and, and having i did like if if i wasn't on a film as an editor new line needed some something editorial done uh, you know I, they they'd pay me to go and do it so it might be a trailer it might be a title sequence it might be cutting something down to get a rating uh it might uh-huh. and, and if, if a film was shot in scope it might be to do a pan and scan so mm-hmm. you know if it's a scope basically the middle slice is 3 Mm-hmm. The yeah. far left slice is one and the far right slice is five. And so every single shot, you'd have to say three, one. Sometimes if if, if it's a whole scene that's played in a two shot, you'd literally have to cut from, from a one frame to the five frame, uh, which mm. was never intended by the director. So, so right. when I started directing, I didn't want anybody fucking with my movie and changing, you know, cutting out half of the frame that I shot. Mm-hmm. So okay. I never shot scope, and and I have 
director friends who always shoot scope and they say well that's what the movies are all about but you know most of people you know when they see it they're, they're going to see it at home and and it's going to half your frame's going to get taken away and it's no longer <laughs> the movie that right. you shot yeah so right. i always shot 185 with and and but we protected for the four by three which was you know tv yeah tv yeah. At, yeah, you know, back back in the day. I mean, now you can shoot TV like you shoot a movie because it's, screens yeah. are the screen. Yeah, TVs are different. Can we talk and, real quick yeah. about uh, casting? Do, can we talk yeah, yeah. about the uh, Matt Frewer? Uh, he was one of the first cast announced. Yeah. Uh, I was yes. going through a bunch of articles about it. Was he the first one you did cast, or was he just the first announced? I I think so. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of the the linchpin, and and you know, Eric did not want anybody to change his dialogue. But Matt loved to improvise, and he was so good that Eric said, "Whatever Matt says is fine." <laughs> oh, okay, okay, good. I was going to ask about that because, because you know, Matt Frewer, even in his interviews about Generation X, said like he went pretty big, yeah, and that yes, was he his. Did. He made a decision, right? Yeah. <laughs> he even, I think, said that they were they were building su- uh, scenery for him to chew in between <laughs> takes. <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. Well, I I just let him go. He was fantastic. I mean, yeah. he 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 was. He's kind of a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in in a way, he's uh, you know he he he's a Canadian. As, yes, right. And and he's kind of like a Jim Carrey kind of character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That character that, for sure. That ability that, that, to that just energy. improvise and and that energy, you know. Yeah. So uh, Jeremy Ratchford played Banshee, and he said that he actually he he sent in a tape. He's the only person that I I mean nowadays everybody casts from 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 tape. Yeah, but that, I, but it, never I thought it was unusual. Tape. Yeah, yeah I that it was... was very unusual. He sent in a tape and I just said, this guy's terrific. I mean, he had kind of, you know, did did the whole um, Northern Irish accent mm-hmm. that he'd kind of gotten down. And I, I think he pretty much stayed stayed in that accent the whole time we were shooting. Oh, really? Oh, OK. I, I think so. I don't I don't really remember knowing what he normally sounded like. Uh, <laughs> he was another Canadian actor. Um, but yeah. And then a lot, a lot of uh, the information about him, like IMDb, lists him also as doing the voice of Banshee for the X Men X Men animated series, which was going on around that oh. time. Oh. But he did not. He was. I, I listened to an interview with him, and he said, "I did not do that voice. I do not <laughs> know how that started." And oh. I, but I wondered, was the X Men animated series something where you looked at should we cast some of these people to play some of these parts? Or I, I didn't even know there was an animated series. Okay. <laughs> okay. And like I said, all I knew was. What was in the script? Sure, sure, right. And, um, and, and what Eric told me. Fanola Hughes was like mostly a soap, soap opera actress, but I, I think she was right. like maybe between General Hospital eras. It, it was not an easy movie to cast, and I wasn't really thrilled with with the cast. Um, Can, especially, why was that? Like, well, I mean, the the guy that who played the guy who plays Skin, yeah, Skin, yeah. I mean, he he was kind of inexperienced. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, the, I probably should have looked up all of the credits because it's been what that twenty years at least twenty five years since 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 I did that. Yeah, he was he was just not very experienced. And 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 the one day that we did go two hours into overtime was seen in the school. And there's like a classroom scene or something, and he just could not get his shit together. You know, I mean, mm. he was a sweet kid, but he just wasn't that experienced. The girl, the short animated girl yeah uh jubilation lee yeah 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 she was good heather mccombs yeah, she, yeah 
Yeah, yeah, she was she was she was very good. The guy with the short hair. Uh that would have been, I think, what, Randall Slavin, who always had the Randall Slavin, yeah. Always had the, the yeah. sunglasses on. Yeah, Rand Randall was Randall was was also pretty good. And then there was the girl who played the, the muscle bound. Right. Uh right. Suzanne Davis played right. uh, played and, Buff. And she was kind of okay. It's just hard. Uh we uh, we did most of the casting in Canada. Uh Fiona, not even sure how many people I saw for that role, but uh she was pretty good. Jeremy was was excellent. I mean, Jeremy was like he was just he just like nailed everything. Uh what else? Oh, about skin. In the comic book, he has sort of like a very dark pallor to his skin and sort of like hanging off his face. I know it's been a long time, but was there any of that to the script? No. Or no. was that no, no. I mean, I mean it's if, sort of like a if, weird he's supposed to look very weird and it's 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 a power that's kind of makes him look unattractive. And in the movie, he's he is uh trying to talk to this girl and doesn't know how. And so he has to like, you know, go through this whole dream just to be able to try to talk with her. And I wondered, was that something that you had to lose? No, no, no. That was okay. never. I mean, I can actually uh, have a script here. Oh wow! Huh. Let's see what it says. Wow. Yes! Wow! wow. Live wow. script. How cool! Uh, so this, uh, yeah, this this has everything in it. I mean, all the casting. Wow. Um, in fact, a whole list of effects. This is amazing because this is not a. You can't find this script online. I, I I looked very hard, but you can't find this. So uh, this is how I this is how I would do it. Was every page I would interleave another facing page that would have the shot list on it. Oh yeah! Oh, wow. wow, that's smart. That's super cool. So that was how. Let me see. I have the schedule here. I can tell you exactly how many days we had. That is so uh, cool. How awesome! Looks like uh, twenty-four days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we may have added a, a day of. Uh, well, I had the storyboards in here too. Can I ask a dumb question about the twenty-four days? Is it twenty-four consecutive days, yes. or are there any breaks in no, between no. there? No, I mean uh, the weekends. Uh, but yeah, here's storyboards. Oh, yeah. oh wow! That's what we'll see. That's awesome. So it's twenty-four consecutive work days, or twenty-four or twenty-four days including weekends. You go just go no, straight. No, uh, uh, we didn't because we were in in shooting out of Vancouver it was a five day week. Okay, okay, Got it. Which, yeah. okay. Which is which is kind of important because uh, let, me, let me see here. There's a because you still have to hold talent through the weekends, correct? Or does that matter in Canada? I uh, know they uh, they get. Oh yeah, here's here's the scene where he kind of looking looking through the wall. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, what? neat. <laughs> yeah. I, I I normally I I really don't like the storyboards because I have a shot list and the shot list is basically a concept of a shot. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to here's exactly what it's going to look like with special effects though you kind of and and also then I I I can't draw so I have to have a, uh, an artist and then I have to explain the shot that I've already figured out. And then see them draw it, and then no, that's not quite right. And they draw it, and it uses up an enormous amount of time. So let's let's see here. Uh... Were there scenes that you shot for Generation X that w were being purposefully set up for this to be a series that would end up playing into the next episode or into the the the, the intended season? Uh, that was a possibility. My job was to just uh, get it done, uh, you know, and it was their job to figure out what uh, what to do with it. Uh, so Skin's actual name in the script is Angelo. Mm -hmm. Angelo, uh, let's see. 
Angelo Espinosa sadly packs his suitcase, and I have written in computer instead of suitcase. He'll be known later as Skin, but right now he's just Angelo. He's his older brother Tito enters. Tito's a, a stud. Los Longchinos tank top sinewy. Hey, Vato Hacker, I got this for you. Uh, that's all. It that's all it says about. Uh, Oh, yeah, That's yeah. the only intro homie, that you get. Okay. Homie, I can't believe you're leaving your pachucos. <laughs> Me either. It's the best thing, though. That's all it says. Wow. Wow. That's how it, there's no description uh, because this is his, his first appearance because, you know, he, it's all in caps. Right. 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 Yeah. When he first, when he first enters, he's all in right caps. Right now, he's just, he's just Angelo. He's kind of, a, you know, a, a bit nerdy compared to his, his brother who, who you know? Who uh, who talks like uh, I don't know, like you know, somebody from East LA. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Thank you for getting Thank that you out. So Thank much. you that so much. That was amazing. That was incredible. What a treat! What a treat for us. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sorry, let's sorry, listeners. You'll have to just know that we were <laughs> that was very exciting. You know, and it's cool. It, of... lo it looked cooler than you than it probably sounded. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, definitely looked cooler. That so going back to the question about it being a TV series, was that something you were aware of at all, or were you? I was just... aware of it. Um, I I believe that the, the 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 term of art is a a backdoor pilot, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's a movie of the week that could possibly be considered a pilot if somebody wants to pursue it, but nobody did. Huh. Shame. Well, see, I had read that that it was, I mean, obviously it was released in February 1996, and that I had read an article that there was a plan to do a TV series that was in the fall of 1997, and th this was in July of 1997. I'm sorry, it's released in February. In July, they were like, there's going to be a series next fall, but at that point, New World got bought by... Fox by Rupert Murdoch. Whoa. And so did you know of any of that going on or was that just no. you had moved on to the next project? Yeah, I was I was done. Nobody ever, ever talked to me about it. You know, I did I did work on one pilot. I did do one one pilot, which uh, for actually called The Omen, which was executive produced by Dick Donner, although it had nothing to do with The Omen. Right. His this own. was about a chemical spill, I believe, right? Yeah, and well, it's a... actually kind of a ripoff of The Hidden because there's this thing called the entity that goes in and takes people over. And oh, okay. Act okay. In a different way. So I was kind of ripping off my own stuff, but it was a horrendous experience. I mean, a pilot that doesn't that doesn't get picked up is a, is a sad thing. Sure, know? yeah. And there were lots and lots of people who, who were very concerned about how everything was going to, you know, it had a lot of scrutiny because, you know, they had a lot riding on it, you know. Mm -hmm. What? So a couple of uh, closing questions. Did you ever work, talk at all with Brandon Tartikoff, who was running New World at the time? Was he? Did he visit the set no, at all? I okay. I never talked to him. I, I, I actually met him on that pilot when he was running NBC. Okay. okay. But so you I, met him I, afterwards. I I only dealt with the guy who was the head of production at uh, New World, and I I forget his name. He was he he was a nice guy. I mean, um, post post production. So I have managed to never let anybody see the editor's cut, at least to to, the, to my knowledge. If they've seen it, I don't know about it. You know, normally, uh, you know, I don't think the editor the editor who who cut that cut. I don't know half a dozen other other movies for me, and uh, I don't think he would he would do that. But you never know, you know, somebody could have twisted his arm and and and, and forced him. But I I just don't want anybody to see 
the editor's cut because there are going to be problems. And right. there are sure. problems that I'm going to solve, but they see them and then now they have to wait for the director's cut, which is, you know, according to the director's guild, I have the right to make a director's cut and I have six weeks. And now they're worrying about this or that and, and planning in their mind what they're going to do to fix the problems that I'm going to fix. So so they wanted to see the editor's cut and I somehow managed to head them off. And then after I submitted my cut and and my director's cuts are really good i mean they're they work they're really good and i always tempt them uh you know so that they play the the way they're supposed to play you know they always have notes i mean i mean some of the notes you know i i i wouldn't say the cuts are are the director's cut is perfect uh and in fact there are some some things that I kind of leave a little loose to kind of give them something that they can criticize. And I can say, okay, I'll take care of that for you, you know. In fact, when I did Tales from the Crypt, I screened my director's cut for them. And they said, okay, fine. And I was so freaked out that I actually went back and made a few changes myself, which I probably shouldn't have done. Uh, but so, so, so after I showed them the cut, so, of course, they, they all had notes, and Eric had notes. And being a producer, not just a, 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 having a binary title, but but actual producer, they, the the head of production, whose name I forget, but it's, it's in that book somewhere, said that he wanted Eric to have a, a, a week with the editor to make mm. these changes. Mm. And I fought that tooth and nail, like, no, 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 no. And finally, we we compromised that Eric would would give that that Eric would give me a list of his his notes, and we would faithfully execute his notes. And he could be in the cutting room if he wanted to. That's I don't remember that there was anything really substantial mm -hmm. that that was changed. And I managed to, and that's kind of the way all of my films have gone. Like I know there were a few a few movies where I had like big fights about having to do something that I really didn't want to do. But honestly, after the fact, I don't remember what they are. And I don't think it ultimately made a whole lot of difference. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's, that's how that, that went. So uh, then to call Stan Lee, one other question I had, Stan Lee was working for Marvel at the time and working with new world to make of these, they were making a series of Marvel movies for TV generation X being one. They were also right. trying to make a, I believe, a Nick Fury one and a Black Widow one. And Stanley was very enthusiastic to the press about Generation X. Did you get to talk with him at all while you were making? I know, I never. Unfortunately, I never. I, I never met him. I would have would have enjoyed meeting him. I mean, uh, you know, I I was never a comic book fan, and honestly. I've seen almost none of the Marvel movies. Mark Mark is not a big fan so of the Marvel <laughs> is it, movies. Is it Doctor Strange, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, it's, it's, mm -hmm. uh, uh, so I saw the original Doctor Strange, which I actually really enjoyed. The one from really the nineteen seventies. What? The one from the seventies. The, the... Uh, 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 no, the, no, the one with no with the original, the, the original Doctor with, Strange. Okay, no, no, the one with with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. Okay. The, I the actually first thought it was Strange. really good. Yeah. Okay. I really yeah. enjoyed it, but I. I just haven't, you know, I have, just don't have the interest to go and see them. Like, I mean, is Thor one of the Marvel things? Mm -hmm. Oh, like, yes. I mean, how do you, like, how do you make <laughs> it not look stupid with this kind of guy with a Oh, you just hammer? cast Chris Hemsworth, and then it's, <laughs> yeah. it looks you great you, no matter you what. You cast a hunky guy who takes his shirt off, and I think that that, that kind of yeah. solves a lot of problems, I guess. I was scouting uh, locations for 
the movie that thought we were going to make a few years ago in in Atlanta, you know, because I, I I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and mm -hmm. and you know, oh. Atlanta's like things are just. I mean, the fish are jumping into the boat there. You know, basically, if you can carry a five k up a flight of stairs, you can get a job. And uh, and had a connection with someone who ran there was like some it was like the largest fiber optic factory in the world that had closed down. But it was this huge, huge, huge facility with 50 foot high, you know, 60 foot high ceilings. And and it was literally like a quarter of a mile to get from one end of this building to the other. And uh, they had, you know, sets, but they were building sets for some Marvel movie that they were shooting there. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's mm -hmm. pretty incredible, you know, to see wow. how they, uh, you know, do this. Well, I mean, I mean, 100 million plus. Oh, yeah. yeah. Plus big, big, big day. budgets. Yeah. yeah. And you were on the forefront yeah. of all this. Like you it, really, well, this is, well, you started yeah. this. This is your fault. Uh, <laughs> that, that was the first. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but. That that was the first modern version of a Marvel comic book. There was a 1990 Captain America. New World had released a version of the Punisher, but you were as the a, first live action. As a, yeah, they released both. They were both at, shot as movies and eventually dumped onto video. But By the you Captain were like the America, Captain yeah. America, and the Punisher, and the Punisher. Were both. Yeah, dumped on video a couple of years before you made uh, Generation X. But Generation X is the first live action X Men. Then oh. X Men comes on. They do the live the first live action X Men in two thousand. So you were you beat them to the punch and included one of their sets. You set the stage. Well, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, when you were shooting this in Atlanta, was this the vampire movie that you're trying to get made? The vampire movie that I, yeah. If uh, if you know somebody with a little bit of money, let me know. It's, it's a great. It's a great script. I'm. I, I, I mean, it's kind of um, you know I. I taught for 13 years. You know, I started this this program. You know, having no idea how to teach film, although I I kind of figured that I could do it. it. Took me five years to figure it out, but but I mean, basically, I as I mentioned, I kind of had to figure out why I did everything that I did mm -hmm. instinctively. Like, I mean, when I go back and I look at like The Hidden's probably maybe my best movie, but when I look back at it, I I kind of did everything right. I mean, there are very few things that I would do differently if I if I were doing it again. I was kind of interested to see what would happen. Like now that I've kind of figured it all out and I, you know, I've spent just years thinking about why I did what I did and how you make a movie and why, why, let's say when you shoot a reverse angle, you want it to be the exact perfect reverse as opposed to just the other side, you know, mm -hmm. but it has to be like the exact same angle of, of incidents off of the lens. And uh, uh, one, one DP, you know, he would actually measure for the, the reverses, you know, which is actually not quite accurate because if it's a man and a woman, a woman's head is usually smaller than a man's head. So if you measure it with the same lens, the woman's not going to look as tight because her right. head very often is smaller than the man's head, mm. you know. And but, except um, in my case, <laughs> huge noggin over here, huge, huge melon. Yeah. You would have kept but, it at the camera in focus. Yeah, they'd have been like, sir, I'm sorry, ma'am. My goodness. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so I, 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 I was just wondering whether it, it, it would make me a better director or a worse director, you know, because like a lot of times, I mean, it's interesting. I, I'm a huge classical music fan. If, if someone were to put me on a desert island, and said, look, you could have a uh, a TV and you could s 
stream any movie you wanted, or you could have a uh, a radio and you could listen to any piece of classical music. I would take the radio in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, so so anyway. you so you're so you're looking up for other projects. And yeah, I know this I'm, is going to be real easy for me to say or ask, and it's harder to make happen in reality. But have you looked? I mean, are you looking into doing TV as well as features? Or I mean, yeah, you know, uh, TV. I'm nobody's going to hire me hmm. for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, I, 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 I. The last movie I did was in 2004, which is 12 Days of Terror. Which, which, by the way, in a, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to uh, a film festival in. In New Jersey, which is right near where those shark attacks that the movie is is about wow. took place. Oh, no way. Mm. I'm on the jury. Mm. The thing about composers is they tend to get better. Their best works are are come later in their life. You know, right? You know, if you look at, you know, Beethoven's first and second symphonies are very nice, but you know his seventh and his uh, obviously the ninth, even the fifth is pretty good. The same with with Mozart and you know most most other composers. But filmmakers often their best work is not at the end of their career. You know, it's often, you know, I mean, you know, Orson Welles is is the the, the classic example of, you know, you make Citizen Kane and then where do you go from there? But <laughs> but I was kind of curious as to whether I would be a better filmmaker or a less interesting filmmaker. And, and I wasn't even sure if I'd have the energy uh, or the right. urge, but but I, I really loved the script. It, it was a really great script. And you know, my mind was just like clicking away. And, and I realized that having spent all this time supervising, watching students make their movies, no, don't put the, don't do that. <laughs> do this. And, you know, here, here's, that that it 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 gave me a kind of a facility that well I kind of had it you know like the the latter part of my uh, career I mean I think it was my sixth or seventh movie twelve oh one I think twelve oh one was my mm-hmm. it, sixth or seventh and I remember around two o'clock in the morning we were shooting in this big set and I looked around and I said. I actually know what I'm doing. Hmm. And it was the first time that I really had the feeling that I that I just I I knew what I was doing that I could see 360 degrees, you know. Yeah. I had thought uh, when I did um by Dawn's Early Light, which is the HBO movie that mm-hmm. that I'm very proud of. Which you shot as I a thought, feature, oh, right? I, that that got, that got released overseas, correct? In 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 uh, in movie theaters? I don't know if it did or not. Um I know 1201 Okay, shot as a TV okay. movie, and then it was released in the rest of the world theatrically. Oh, okay, and and it, and and in fact, after I made it, I was on the jury of the Brussels Film Festival, and they had something like two hundred and fifty movies that they screened, and they wow. screened twelve oh one out of competition because you know I was on the jury, so right, uh, and it won the audience award. It was the favorite movie. Oh of, wow! Of the oh audience. cool! Wow! What a great so, compliment! Yeah. So uh, so why uh, so why do you but, think you couldn't get a TV job? Because I had too much ego. So I would like the first the first episode. I did Tales from the Crypt, but every Tales from the Crypt would. I mean, it was a very director centric series. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, Zemeckis and Walter Hill, and you know a lot mm-hmm. of really good people directed. Um, episodes so each each one was kind of had its own style right um and i also did another one called vietnam war stories for hbo it's really good good series six six episodes mm-hmm. um you know one of the things that i'm the most proud of again each each one was you know different but mm-hmm. uh the first thing that i did episodic was it was called gideon's fire gideon's fire i think 
Gabriel's and, uh, Gabriel's, Gab- fire. Gabriel's fire. Sorry, mm-hmm. Gabriel's fire. And it started James Earl Jones, who I I worked with on, on um, by Dawn's Early Light. And um, so the first uh, there was a pilot, and the pilot was all shot with long lenses and a lot of diffusion and smoke, you know, and and all of that stuff. And then I got hired to do the first two episodes, which was kind of a double episode. And I didn't like the way it looked, so I decided to shoot it with all wide lenses. But I had the same cameraman, and he hated me because he was like a long lens guy, and he was trying to keep. So I, I, I remember that I was shooting like a scene in a room, and 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 the way that I stage things is I have a lot of people coming, moving toward the camera, and moving away from the camera, and using that depth uh, so that someone would be here, and they walk here, and then they turn around, and it would become a over the shoulder of the other person you know those those kinds of things and there was so much smoke in the room so much smoke he put in the room the person in the back of the room he could barely see them like london London in in the eight in the 1900s Um, and and they 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 hated me because you know i i was trying to redo the show and they really liked the pilot and the network liked the pilot and and you know i was i was a a pain in the ass. So I think I got a really bad reputation off off the start. And 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 I tended, you know, I wish someone had kind of sat me down and said, look, if you want to do this, here's the way it works. Mm. They want the show to look the same every week. You know, right. if you go into mm. your favorite restaurant and you like the 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 clams with linguini with clams. And you go in one day and it tastes completely different. It's like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. oh, this, you know, where's what happened to the linguine with clams? You know, and, 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 you know, if it's an episodic show, they want it to look right. Rightly same. so. Right. They want it to look, look the same. And somebody should have sat me down and said, look, if that's a problem for you, don't do it. But here's, this is what the gig is all about. Mm-hmm. You have to shoot it in their style, you know, and make it as good as you can within that world but you're not in charge the writers are in charge you know and the dp is in charge would that stop and, you from getting a job now though do you think like the well now i now i you know i i'm i might as well be dead you know i've been living in north carolina <laughs> sure. uh, the last thing i did was in 2000 you know i'm out of the game you know, I see. I'm, I'm, I see. I'm, I'm an old guy, uh, uh, you know, and the fact is that that I I'm as good as ever, if not even better, you know, and I'm right. a lot mm-hmm. a lot smarter and a lot more experienced and a lot a lot more relaxed, you know, and I understand the the game a lot better. But um, mm. I, you know, I don't have an agent, um, mm. and and I, you know, um, I don't think it's going to happen. I I do think it's possible that I could do another feature. You know, I mm-hmm. I've I always seem to have something, you know, bubbling away. You know, nothing sort of quite come out of the oven yet. So well, um, we're excited I'm, if you do. We're I mean, well, I'm 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 hopeful. The life that I've led up until I got the teaching job was basically I never knew what was going to happen. You know, it was just like I maybe there was a script that I really wanted to do or talking to people about it and then we're working on this or we're trying to get this cast person or two cast people or three cast, and, and then you know the agent calls and says hey there's this movie that they want you to do you know 
can you start on Monday? And that's how kind of my life went. And and, and, and we're shooting it in Vancouver, or we're shooting it in India, or, or we're shooting it, God knows where, you know. And that was kind of how my life went, that that I never quite knew. And it, you know, it was kind of an adventure, you know. Sure. I mean, even... Even even now, you know, I, I, it's kind of like I put all these bottles out to sea, you know, I have, you know, uh, something sounds interesting, you know, maybe it's a film festival or it's a possible project or this, you know, yeah. And then I, you know, in the morning I get up and I walk along the shore and I see what washes up and, you know, <laughs> uh, sometimes it's, you know. Somebody says, hey, uh, we, we have this podcast about New World Cinema. We'd love to interview you. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, but I mean, that's that's kind of the life that 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 most people who work on films have, you know. It's, right. You just never, never know what, what the next thing is that's going to pop up. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, it makes it worth getting up in the morning, you know, and check your Facebook or check your email and you know you never you never quite quite know and there might be a nice surprise of course so. well we hope there's a big surprise that it's that uh, I that project sounds great I hope that the, that that comes through and we're going to see another Jack Shoulder film very soon because uh I, we're ready for it well, so in in 2000 and 2001 I think yeah it was it was 2001 Bob Shea invited 90 of of his friends to go on a cruise down the Amazon. He uh, he rented a, you know, hired a, uh, a, a an 80 40 suite uh cruise ship and uh, sailed for like 3 weeks and I was on the boat with him and while and um you know Ted Ted Turner bought New Line. Um, right. And then Warner's bought Ted Turner. You know, right. Like, mm-hmm. And then while we were on the ship, you know, we were all saying, "Wonder how much uh, we figured that it was probably costing Bob like, I don't know, $3 million to take everybody on this trip. You know, I mean, if you wanted a glass of champagne, it was Don Perignon, you know. Wow. Um, and while we were on the ship, AOL bought Warner Brothers. <laughs> AOL. Remember them? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Back in the day, <laughs> there used to be a company called AOL. Mm-hmm. And I mean, look at Sears Roebuck. Sears Roebuck was the Amazon of its time. Mm-hmm. They had a catalog. You could buy a house. You could buy yeah. a house on on yeah. Sears Roebuck. They'd ship it to you. And I mean, yeah. we had a Sears here in Asheville. You know, they closed about seven or eight years ago. Yeah, yeah we had one down the street from us that closed about three mm-hmm. three years ago. Now it's yeah. a Target. I, now it's a Target. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Target seems to be doing pretty well, but I'm. I just worry like there's not going to be any brick and mortar stores left, you know. Target because has done a good job of making it available to go buy things online, so you, they ship things to you as well. So, uh, well, Walmart, Walmart, and Walmart's does the done same that, thing. Mm-hmm. yeah. And Best Buy does does the same thing too. Yeah. And also they'll they'll price match. So if if you go in there and they've got something, they've got a TV for for five hundred dollars, and 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 you can show them Amazon is selling it for. Four hundred dollars. They'll give it to you for four hundred dollars. So the, the thing that tar- the thing that Target has above all of those, though, is they have a, a large portion of their consumer base are primarily moms who enjoy going into Target as a escape from the everyday routine. Right. So they do enjoy just walking, taking the kids, walking through Target. And that's the, even Walmart doesn't have that same consumer base and, and neither does Best Buy. They, for some reason, just 
target really uh-huh. attracted that group and has held mm. on to it really well, which has done very well for them from a brick and mortar standpoint. Ah, Jack, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, we so yeah. appreciate your time. This was this was incredible. Um, I do have to say, I very I one of the things that I've always really loved um, about the hidden is how much time is spent in a record store that I frequented many oh, really? many times when I was a really? teenager. <laughs> so. Um, it's like, and not then Bleaker Bob's is not around anymore, but no. I remember going there so many times to go record shopping. Um, wow. and it, it looked the way it looked, you know, the way that it does in the movie. And so I, I, yeah, it's always like a little trip back to like, ah, oh, I missed that store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, in a way the hidden is kind of like a love letter to LA because it, it, it uses so many LA locations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when, mm-hmm. uh, when, when I go back, I'll drive past someplace. Oh, I remember we, we shot this here <laughs> yeah. or, or that here. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny because like the first seemed like the first half of my career, everything I shot was in LA. I mean, Elm street. Well, um, alone in the dark, we shot in mostly New Jersey, mm-hmm. but, um, you know elm street and uh let's see elm street the hidden uh well renegades we shot in toronto um by dawn's early light we shot all that in la 1201 we shot in la mm-hmm. and then f- everything from fox started going up to um vancouver yeah 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 and, the 90s seems like seemed, everything went to vancouver that seemed to be the place to to go the yeah. the atlanta of its time if you will yeah i mean it, atlanta is now i mean now now the place. I mean, there's there were ninety separate productions going on. I mean, everything yeah. from like uh, superhero movies to reality shows and wow. you know stuff. Yeah. I mean, not not all big yeah. stuff, but ninety separate things where they needed people to 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 work. I mean, they actually had like a a, 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 a like a kind of a a, a trade school for um, uh, film workers. Uh, you know, where you take I don't know a six month course or something, and you'd be qualified as an electrician. Wow! And you come out and you just go to work. You know, and they're just you know they, they, they were placed there were productions that went to North Carolina which used to be a big uh, out of California place when you know Dino had a studio here and and North Carolina was giving all of these uh, rebates that nobody else was doing mm-hmm. and then we got a Republican uh, th- this was a Democratic state fairly mm-hmm. fairly progressive for the South and and then the Republicans took over and you know this, why are we giving these film people all this money then the business dried up and it all went to atlanta hmm. but hmm. but now people are coming back to north carolina because they can't even get cruising in, in atlanta <laughs> right it's too busy it's yeah. so busy it's but i was incredible. i was i was telling you i just w- was watching hidden again today uh, the director's commentary and like i was just in a gower where you shot like the whole police block there yeah and i yeah, saw that, it and i was street. like oh my gosh I was just there on Gower, and then you start in on the commentary, and like, yeah, here we shot right this right off of Gower, and uh, it's unbelievable. It's so it's so great. It still I, looks almost identical. I have I have something interesting here. I met this guy, and he he um, his hobby was going to movie locations for movies that he liked. So, if you remember from mm-hmm. the beginning of the car yep. chase, yeah, yeah, and, and, and he went and and he took pictures. <laughs> of of all these i wonder if he has a picture of well here's the wait, 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, neat. I wonder if he has a picture. He must have a picture of the record store. Um, here's uh, uh where that where that nightclub was. I I uh, forget the name oh, of that right. street right off of Hollywood Boulevard. But uh, uh, yeah, there was one that he couldn't. There was one that he couldn't figure out. But yeah, he. It's uh, it's actually pretty. It's actually pretty pretty cool that he's got. Look, even this even this this parking. So like a parking lot where they where they find the the the, the body of the guy who was fucked to death. Oh right, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> In the car. <laughs> but uh, 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 yeah, you know, talking about uh, 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 talking about cool moments that uh, uh, street where the uh, that where the strip club was and all that. So we closed the street down, and uh, you know, I. I, I come from a kind of a working class family. Like, I mean, for a Jewish family, I was the first person to ever go to college. And for a long time, I was the only person to ever go to college. You know, they'd go to like air conditioning school or mm -hmm. air Trade dressing schools. school. Or, yeah. yeah. And so I invited my uncle to, to come out, you know, been a working stiff all his life. Uh, and, and we were shooting on that street and we had the whole street closed down and we had a crane you know, and lights and extras and all that stuff. That was on Yucca, wasn't it? Yeah, Yucca, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and 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 they were shooting the the night scene, and and so you know, I invite him to come to the set, and you know, he kind of looked around and he said, "You're in charge of this whole thing." Wow, you know, <laughs> and I thought, I am. <laughs> How could? And and uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that happens is is they say, you know, which way are you going to shoot? So you know, where can we park the trucks? And a lot of times you have no idea. But because I shot list, and and then when we get the location, by the way, I'll revise the shot list sometimes right. to fit the location. So I can say, well, I'm going to shoot this way and this way and this way, but I'm not going to shoot back here. So, but I, uh, when he said that, I. I realized that if I wanted to be a real asshole and self-destructive, I could say, you know what? I want to shoot this way, not this way. And everything, all the lights over there, and, you know, and the whole yeah. thing. And, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. You know? Yeah. So. yeah. It anyway. is. That's awesome. It is. Jack, anyway. thank you again for the, for your time. Yeah. This was incredible. Yes, um, thank you. This was so great. Uh, if you don't mind, shoot shoot me uh, if you, if you can find it on that script. Find the head of production at New World. I'm curious what the name is. I'm gonna have I'll I'll dig for it myself. I can probably tell you in in a minute because I have the the crew list somewhere here, the whole cast list. Let's see, and somewhere there's a page that has the entire crew, family board schedule, cast. I'll have a location list. Where's my cast? Oh, here it is, Bruce. Salen, that's hmm. his name. Bruce Salen, S-A-L-L-A-N. S-A-L-L-A-N? Yeah, and here I have, hmm, wondering where this came from. I have, this is interesting, I have no idea. It says, notes for Jack discussion, and it's not in my handwriting. Let's see. Oh, I'm wondering if this came from, from Eric Blakeney. These are are um let's see see invasion of gel and suction cups as a cold harsh gesture uh, <laughs> alicia to really bite on the line in what a stripper's bar like she still has some fight in her i guess this must be from eric hmm. arlie is reading her lines too flirty she should have no confidence that a guy would be interested in her hmm. Oh. Skin's new kid talking 99 should have a casual conversational flow, not a tragedy. Uh, scene seven, uh, wind on land. Uh, interesting. Uh, I wonder. 
won't get through uh, the description here. When Emma enters, maybe she should come in without her duster, not expecting the BMA dusters. Their entrances should be a dramatic one. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, who wow, Bruce, wow, well, Bruce, Bruce Allen. So yeah, he was he was a very nice guy. Okay, great, um, good to know. And 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 Abby Arad was the uh, the head of Marvel at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, did he sell it to somebody, Abby Arad? Abby Arad might have been in charge of Marvel, Marvel. Yeah. Because New World owned uh, yeah, Marvel, Marvel and yeah. Marvel owned, uh, yeah, he, he, New World owned Marvel the late eighties. They sold Marvel, but not some of the TV properties and like the Mar like Marvel. So some of the Marvel entities remained until till the nineties. That's why New World was still making television shows and TV movies uh, with Marvel properties. But Marvel had then been sold by in the. 80s late 80s i think they'd sold it off so uh, yeah because um you know it's it's possible the notes might have come from a rod was occasionally there and he had like his guy his young guy who was there pretty much most of the time but they were very happy with 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 what they were seeing i mean they were uh, you know they were very happy with the way the movie was being shot awesome to them. anyway well, it's it's been great chatting with you. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes I've done a lot of podcasts and stuff, and you know, I get asked the same old questions, and people are not that informed. So, um, <laughs> it's 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 really nice to sort of you know just kind of talk to people who are really interesting to talk to. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Likewise, Aww. thank you. Yeah. That's very kind that's of you to say. That really means a lot to yeah. us. Well, well, I mean, it's it means a lot to me that uh, you're interested enough to. To, to take the time to see my movies and to want to talk about it. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, so, so I'm, I'm happy too. No, no, we, <laughs> like I said, big fans, uh, hidden is a movie I've loved forever, but I'm big fans of your other work. There's a couple of those TV movies I haven't seen. I need, and I'm going to go see them. I'm going to see them shortly. Cause have you seen 1201? I haven't seen 1201. No, unfortunately. You should, you should try to watch it. Cause it's really, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites. It's uh, I well, wanted to watch yeah. it before we, before this, but the problem is, is that the, there's a version on YouTube, but I don't like to watch no. it on YouTube. For instance, G generation X is only available on YouTube. Which is unfortunate right. because I think yeah, that it's a shitty, some, shitty quality. Yeah. yeah so is. a lot of the, the the camera work you're talking about that you did so well with, I think it's it's does it's it's tough yeah, it because lost. you can't really kind of see it, and uh, it's a bummer that it's it's only in that quality that you can you we have to watch it in order to see it uh, in, on YouTube. But I wanted to see about getting the DVD for twelve oh one because I wanted to get a better quality i just wanted to see i want to be able to see it the way you shot it and not just some you know rip of a rip of a rip that got thrown on yeah. youtube you know so that's why i didn't get to, i wanted to see it before we talked to you but well i mean if you if you have a chance i mean it is out on on, on dvd i don't know whether whether it's it's currently in circulation or, or whether you have to buy a used copy but i showed it at a at a, at a, at a university and um, you know i watched the first 20 minutes and i thought you know, it's not as, you know, it's not quite as good as I remembered it. And then it just got better. Like the first 20 minutes sets up the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and everything that happens in the first 20 minutes kind of is important for everything. And it just got better and better and better. And I was, you know, I said, wow, you know, really, it was a good script. Yeah. Just like The Hidden was a really, The Hidden mm -hmm. was a great script, you know. And if you have a great script, you can make a good, you know, you have a chance to make a good movie. And I mean, 1201 was was one of those really good scripts. Well, I'm going to check it out. Anyway, I'm going to get that DVD. Yeah. I'm going to get the DVD and I'm going to watch it. So I'm going to hunt around and, 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 and grab uh, it. And let me know, yeah, let me know what you think. You know, I will, I will.
Yeah. All right. Well, listen, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. You have been talking for two and a half hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm feeling bad for you because you're on you're on East Coast time. So uh, we're, we're yeah. on the West Coast. So uh, but I was just going to yeah. say again, thank you. And, yeah, and, thank you and the so pleasure much. is truly thank ours. You. This is yes. this was amazing. And so and grateful. We're so, so hugely grateful to you for your time and these amazing insights and reading out of the script. What a treat for us. Seriously. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, listen. <laughs> It's been fun. Yes. Thank you. Yes, it's been a blast. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Okay. We really appreciate Thank it, Jack. You, you too. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's it. That's our talk with Jack Shoulder. We hope you enjoyed this interview. We just had an incredible time. So yeah. we hope you enjoyed it. We had an incredible time talking with Jack. I think what's amazing about these interviews and this, this interview with Jack, I mean, he was so gracious with his time, really seemed to enjoy the conversation, really wanted to talk about New World Pictures. And I think that is what has surprised yes. me is we've met a lot of people who have worked behind the scenes at New World Pictures. Some of them only worked a little bit. Some of them did mm -hmm. a lot of work with them. But right. all of them truly, they've done much bigger, more successful movies with other production companies. They really want to talk about New World Pictures. And as much as I wanted to talk about The Hidden for about an hour and a half, <laughs> he really wanted to talk about New World Pictures and Generation X, which is awesome because I don't, I don't know that enough people know the stories behind it. They don't really right. know right. what New World Pictures did to give all these directors, producers, writers, actors their start and give them yeah. a chance to make these movies. That's the thing is that oftentimes when we talk to people, New World is, no matter when they sort of came to New World, it is the beginning of their career. What's interesting with Jack is that he's well into his career at this point and has already made The Hidden, has already made all these movies, but he wanted to come back. He wanted to talk about Generation X. He wanted to talk about New World. He was very keen to do it. I don't think he gets to talk a lot about Generation X and about that this part of his career. And so that's what I think was really, really cool to talk to him about. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, yeah I, I think you're right, Mark. I think people like look fondly back at that time in their career and it's New yeah, World is that sure. sort of landmark time for them mm -hmm. whether it gave them their start or just gave them another opportunity yeah it gave them a chance to do something different yeah 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 well we hope you enjoyed this interview if you did please give us a five-star review that would really help us out you can also find all of our content and our t-shirts at our website newworldpicturespodcast.com we'll see you next time on the new world pictures podcast bye everybody